2 Corinthians 11, page 1170. Hear now the reading of God's inspired word. Verse 1. Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, whom ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself, that ye might be exalted, because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other, other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth, but what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise, yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little." That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly, in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing yourselves are wise. For ye suffer, if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you in the face, I speak as concerning a reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more, and labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, 
A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches, who is weak, and I am not weak, who is offended, and I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept me, or excuse me, kept the city of the Damascenes with the garrison, desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, inspired by his spirit and profitable for us. Here verses 1 through 4, the apostle gives his defense or apology for his self-commendation. He calls this his folly, his foolish self-commendation, putting himself forward to be received by them. Why did he do it? He argues, it was necessary. I had to do it. He says that they should bear with him and also that they did bear with him. Ye do bear with me. He says he was jealous over them with a godly jealousy. He did not want them to be falling to spiritual fornication or whoredoms. And again, we talked about this before. He's as a father giving his daughter in marriage. Paul is the father. The Corinthian church or the Achaeans are the daughter. He refers then to the serpent beguiling Eve through his subtlety. Subtlety means something that is very uh, unnoticeable. Or literally, panurgia is the word. All, pan, urgos is a working or an energy. So panurgia is where someone is able to do everything. They can look good and they can do bad. They can do it all. Satan is the master of panurgia. He is subtle. You do not notice his ways. He seems to be doing good while he's actually doing evil. He has power to do all these things. He's ready for whatever. He's cunning. He's crafty. He has a specious or false wisdom. Specious is where something looks good, but the substance is lacking. This is panergia. This is subtlety, sophistry, a fine eloquence. Strained interpretations of Scripture. This is what Satan has. Remember, he, in, he actually quotes the Bible to Jesus in order to subtly draw him aside from the meaning of the text to go against the plain meaning of Scripture. Subtlety. He says the contrast with that is simplicity. What is simplicity? That's where something is very straightforward. Something is sincere, it is honest, free from pretense or dissimulation. When we interpret the Bible, you can use subtlety or you can use simplicity. Subtlety becomes far-fetched. 
Simplicity is, well, what does the text say? What's the basic meaning of the words? You know, a figure of speech is a figure of speech, of course, but we know that. That's simple. Subtlety is where, oh, this represents this, and this represents that, and the other represents the other, and before you know it, you've inverted the teaching of Scripture. You've perverted the teaching of Scripture. It's not simple anymore. You're leading people aside. Christ's religion is one of frankness. His scriptures and the doctrines of his scriptures are free from pretense or dissimulation. His words are simple. Remember what Moses said, this law that I've commanded you, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. You're to do it. It's simple. You don't have to go across the ocean to figure out what it says. It's right here in front of you. Paul says the same thing in Romans 10 about the gospel. It's plain, it's simple, it can be understood, it is understood by you, but you won't submit to it. That was the problem that they had in Israel. It's not that the scriptures were unclear, it's that they didn't want to listen to them. And then if you read the rabbis, what do they have? Far-fetched interpretations, so that they can sidestep the plain meaning of scripture with subtlety. That is why they are so evil. Because their rabbis use subtlety. That's why the papists are so evil. Because their teachers use subtlety. They make distinctions that the scriptures do not make. Oh, well, I bow before an image, but I don't really worship the painting itself. Well, that's what the heathens said when the Christians said, you worship images. That's what the Bible says, even though they said, we don't worship these little carved things. The philosophers said, we worship the divine spirit behind the image. What does scripture say? They worshiped images. It doesn't make the distinction. It doesn't make the fine distinction. It looks at it very plainly. Well, that's another God. That's a demon. Because that's not the true God. He didn't tell you to do that. So it's a different God. In fact, it's a demon. That's what Paul says. Christ's religion is one of simplicity, of frankness, of straightforward interpretations. Satan corrupts the scriptures, listen, with far-fetched and fanciful notions. This breeds hypocrisy in ethics and confusion in interpretation. Of course you need some kind of figurehead somewhere who can tell you what it means because you corrupted it so badly, nobody has any idea what it's talking about. Let us handle the scriptures according to the simplicity of Christ, not in fanciful or satanic subtlety. Also, listen, let our conversation be an open book. When people think of us, should they think of the subtlety of our words or that we're straightforward and easy to understand? You know what subtlety does? It shifts. It evades. You know you're guilty. You know you've done something wrong. Yeah, sure, somebody else also did wrong. But simplicity says, I did wrong. Please forgive me. What does subtlety say? Yeah, but they did it too. Oh, it's, it's their fault. Oh, no, my circumstance. Oh, I was tired. Oh, I, I had all these problems. I can't do my duty because of these things. Subtlety. That's what Satan wants us to do. Why? Because then you can't repent. When you can't acknowledge and confess your sins, you can't ask for forgiveness for your sins. So Satan wants you to be subtle. Put a little spin on that action. Put a little far-fetched interpretation on that. Blame somebody else. Let us live our lives in a straightforward way, not evasions, not subtle explanations or excuses, but with frankness. He says, 
that these false apostles in verse 4 preached another Jesus, they had another spirit, and they had another gospel. Oh, wait a second. Can't we all just get along and sing Kumbaya? We have different gospels, but we got the same Jesus. Really? No, not really. The apostle says, If you have my doctrine, you have my Jesus, you have my spirit. If you have a different gospel, a different doctrine, you have a different Jesus. You have a different spirit. We cannot sing Kumbaya. Verses 5 through 15, he contrasts his ministry with the false apostles. He also mentions his refusal to take wages from the, the Achaean churches. Though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, they accused him of being rude in his speech. Because why? He was frank. He was straightforward. What were the false apostles? Very subtle in their reasonings, in their speeches. Very uh, puffed up in their eloquence as they spoke to the people. You see this in the book of Acts. Remember Tertullus, who comes to accuse Paul? Oh, I thank thee, great Herod, for thy providence over this people. Oh, you are such a wonderful ruler. We're nourished by you. But so that I'm not tedious any longer, let me tell you what a pestilent fellow this man is. Very flowery, very uh, flattering language, and false accusations. What does Paul do? Well, I'm glad you know about the Jews' religion because you know that I was down there for Passover just a few weeks back. Factual. He still commends the magistrate, doesn't he? But he says things that are true and verifiable and pertain to his case. This is how we must live our lives. This is how we must speak. Paul was eloquent in a scripture eloquence, but not as they wanted. He wasn't good enough for them. He robbed other churches, he says, not literally, but rather, he took money from Achaia to pay for his expenses. Excuse me, Macedonia to pay for his expenses while he was in Achaia. That's like robbery, isn't it? Because you Macedonians shouldn't be paying for the Achaeans' expenses. They should be paying for their own. Now, the Macedonians did it cheerfully. They loved Paul. But he calls it a robbery to aggravate the crime of the Achaeans. You're not paying me. Why? Because they would have accused him for taking money. They accused him for not taking money, but they would have accused him more had he taken money. He calls them false apostles. Pseudapostoloi. Pseudos is a lie or a falsehood, then the word apostle. False or lying apostles, that's what they were. They pretended that God called them to preach the gospel and plant churches, but they weren't called. They came of their own will. They came in their own strength. They were deceitful workers or workmen, laborers in the vineyard who weren't doing what the master commanded. They transformed themselves, he says, into the apostles of Christ. Verse 13. This is a physical change. The outward form of something is transformed. It is transfigured or changed. Remember our bodies? Christ will transform our vile bodies that they may be like to his glorious body. It's the same word. They won't look the same in the resurrection. The outward appearance will be different. They will be the same body for substance, but they will be renewed and transformed by God. So these false apostles, they transform themselves to look like something that they're not, as if Christ sent them. 
Not all in church office, I note, ought to be there. There are personal qualifications concerning the lifestyle, and there are doctrinal qualifications concerning the teaching. These two must come together. The false apostles had subtlety, they avoided frankness, and they avoided simplicity in their speeches about Scripture. They sought their own interests, they suppressed the plain meaning of Scripture, and they cannot confirm their points without going back to worldly wisdom. That's the idea. That's why Paul preaches about wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world in 1 Corinthians. Because they had heard this worldly wisdom, this Judaizing wisdom, this heathenizing wisdom, without reference to God in his word. They pretended, in fact, as Satan, to be ministers of righteousness. Satan himself, he says in verse 14, is transformed into an angel of light. Same word. His external appearance, he doesn't want you to see him as the prince of darkness, does he? He wants you to see him as a messenger of light. You remember in Romans chapter 5, Paul concludes his section on justification. What's the accusation the false apostles make in chapter 6? Oh, well, if you tell me that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds, you're telling me I should sin more so that I can get more grace. You see that? Shall we sin? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? These are the ministers of righteousness who found fault with the gospel. Paul, you're not a minister of righteousness. You, people, you teach people to sin, that their sins will be forgiven by God, and that where their sins abound, the grace of God much more abounds. Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Satan won't come to you, as I mentioned earlier, with gross, damning error and say, hey, you should go to hell with me. You should accept this satanic practice. No, what he'll say is, well, you know, marriage is kind of fleshly. You really shouldn't be marrying. If you want to be really holy, you should devote yourself to the single life over here. It's called a a monastic life. Let's call it that. You're alone with God, reading the Bible, praying, worshiping the Lord, singing the Psalms. What could be better than that? Subtlety. And yet, to forbid that someone marry is what? A doctrine of devils, Paul says. But doesn't it sound so good? Doesn't it sound, oh, so appealing to man's wisdom? Ah, yeah. Deny all that fleshly stuff. Kids and the concerns of this life, you don't need that. You just need to be holy, worshiping God. This is satanic. It's called a doctrine of demons. In fact, he also says if people forbid certain types of food to you, Oh, you can't eat that. Uh, the calendar says you can't eat that for another uh, 40 days. You've got to lay off that stuff, okay? Satan is telling you these things with his subtlety. Look how wise. Oh, you're denying yourself chocolate. Good for you. No. Bad for you. That is satanic. It is subtle. It has an appearance of wisdom. It looks like righteousness. Oh, we honor the saints and the great struggles they've had. And then we bow before them and offer a little pinch of incense and some prayers. Oh, we love the saints. Oh, they're so great. No, you don't. The the saints in heaven would spit on you if they saw you worshiping them. Stand up. 
I'm a creature just like you. That's what they would say. That's what Peter said when Cornelius bowed to him. That's what the angel said when John bowed before him. Stand up. I'm a servant just like you. Why are you bowing before me? Worship God, they said. Not us. Oh, but you don't love the saints? You want to kill grandma? Put on your mask. The same satanic spirit. They appear as ministers of righteousness. And therefore, Paul says, very ironically, their end shall be according to their what? Their works. You want it to be justification by works? You can get exactly what you deserve. Hell. You can go with Satan, your father, who teaches your false gospel, who pretends to righteousness. You can have it all according to your works. Then verses 16 through 21, we have the suffering of fools or the putting up with fools. Some real fools, some reputed to be fools. Verse 16, yet as a fool receive me, Paul says. I'll make a concession, sure. You can call me a fool, but at least receive me as one. Then he refers to his boasting as not after the Lord. There is no precept that Christ or God in the Old Testament gave, thou shalt boast, thou shalt commend thyself. It's not after the Lord, but this occasion required it. Seeing then that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. They're they're constantly boasting after the flesh, he says. It's present tense. Therefore, I shall do this. I'm now going in the future. I'm now about to do this that they're constantly doing. Many glory after the flesh, I'll do it also. Ye suffer fools gladly. Okay, so you think I'm a fool, but you're very happy to allow these fools in, aren't you? You suffer them gladly, he says, seeing ye yourselves are what? Wise. The Corinthians thought they were wise. But notice, their pride went before their fall, didn't it? Were they wise? They were foolish. If a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you in the face, you receive him. Is that wise? But they said they were wise, didn't they? They were fools. Verses 22 through 33, he gives an account of his qualifications his labors and his sufferings in which he exceeded the false apostles. You think they're wise? You think they're ministers of Christ? You think they're doing good and they're apostles? Look at what I've done. Look at the labors that I've done for you. Look at them. They say, I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. I'm the seed of Abraham. Well, so am I, he says. They had all the proper genealogy in place. So did Paul. Why don't you grant him that? That point for them is a point for him. But Paul has more points. In deaths oft, he says, the danger or peril of death was always with the Apostle Paul. Remember he said, we bear about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus. Everywhere he went, he was in danger of death. Verse 24 of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Now this is just an interesting note on the subtlety of the Jews. How many times could you beat a man before you had to stop? Forty. How many times did the Jews say you could beat a man before you had to stop? One less. You see that? The subtlety of that? God's rule 
We need another rule that stops us from breaking God's rule. You see that? The wisdom of the flesh, the subtlety of the rabbis. Josephus mentions this. Only 39 times if a man falsely accuses his wife. This is a rabbinical prescription, devilishly devised to put a hedge around God's law with the wisdom of man. And so every time they punished Paul, it was 39. Not going to go to 40, even though God said we could. We're just a little bit better than the law. We won't go all the way to 40. We'll go to 39 because we are wise. Once was I stoned, he says. Verse 25. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. Acts 27, you can read about this. The stoning is in Acts 14, 19. A day and the night he's been in the deep. Maybe the ocean. Maybe like Jonah, he was in the ocean or he was floating about on debris from a crashed ship. We don't know. He was in perils among false brethren, he says. Just like there are false apostles, there are false brethren. Beside those things that are without, everything that I've omitted and said, I've said a bunch, but I left a lot out. I have the care, he says, of all the churches. He had duties. He had a burden. He had to look after them. And God, who is blessed over all, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he can be my witness. He can tell you all these things have occurred. In Damascus, he says, the governor under Aretas the king kept the city. You can read this in Acts chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Did you know that was unlawful according to the law of ancient customs and civilizations? You couldn't climb out the window of a wall, especially not if the governor's looking for you and he's put a garrison out to make sure that you don't escape. You're a wanted man. The government has a warrant for your arrest. Appear before us. What does Paul do? He escapes out a window during the nighttime when nobody can see him. Matthew Poole comments or asks the question, it being against human laws to go over the walls of a city or a garrison, whether Paul did sin in this escape? Is Paul sinning by disobeying this law? He goes on, God's glory and the good of souls were more concerned in Paul's life than to have it sacrificed to a punctilio of obedience to a human law made upon a mere politic consideration. A punctilio is where you get down into the very granular detail of this and you say, well, I'm not going a quarter mile per hour over 55. Oh, well, really? Maybe there's an occasion you should go. No, no, no occasions. Wear the mask. Get the shot. The punctilios of human laws. Oh, the, the governor said I have to wear my mask. I got to wear it. Got to do it. Do you? Do you really? The governor said don't meet for worship. Who are you going to listen to? God? Or are you going to listen to the magistrate? Paul says, I'm out of here. I don't care if it's against the law. I'm saving my life so that I can minister another day in the gospel. I note then, there are various forms of responses Christians may lawfully give to tyrants. You can resist under a lesser magistrate. You can avoid. You can escape. And Paul here does that very thing. He does not appear to the citation of the magistrate. 
He doesn't come and say, you want me? Here I am. No, he escapes through a window in a basket at night. How many forms of evasion can you have in one act? Let us then use wisdom in responding to tyranny. If you can avoid it, avoid it. If you can escape, escape. If you must resist, resist. Do it in God's way. And thus far the explanation of God's holy word from 2 Corinthians chapter 11.